My grandmother was around when Emmett Till died. She is a, she was around to remember Black Water Fountain, White Water Fountain. She lived in a Jim Crow segregated South. My grandmother has stories to tell me and has told me about the pains and all of the anguish that she has gone through as an African-American woman in America. And so if you're telling me right now that 2021 is like 1950, if you're telling me that 2021 is like 1776, is like 1619, and that the same oppression and repression and all the things that our forefathers and foremothers, uh, foremothers had to deal with are the exact same as what we're dealing with right now in 2021, you need to go get a book. All right, everybody, welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Marcus D. Holman. Thank you so very much for joining us here on the set again. We definitely appreciate your followership and your viewership. So thank you uh, for all of those who support uh, this particular podcast. Uh, we are in the set today, man, and I want to talk about something and ask you a question. What is great about America? Uh, is America great? Is it the land flowing with milk and honey? Um, and I say that proverbially, of course, uh, referring back to some Old Testament texts. But is America great? Uh, let's kind of go down this rabbit hole and ask ourselves some questions that desperately need to be answered. Um, for myself personally, I am 48 years old this year. I have been blessed to travel to 31 countries all around the world. Uh, I've been as far as India, uh, all throughout Africa, through Europe, uh, Central and South America. Um, I've had the privilege and the distinction of visiting countries from the top all the way down to the bottom and everywhere in between. I've been blessed to experience different people and different cultures and different ways of life and, and all of these different things that has greatly, greatly, greatly enhanced me as a person, has given me a very unique perspective in my life, and I am able to uh, to look from a 30,000-foot view on things that other people have an eye view on. Because I've seen so much and my travels have taken me so many different places, it has enhanced me in ways that I, that I, that I find it very difficult to communicate at times. I took my first trip out of the country in 2010. Um, and so that's 11 years that I have been doing world travel. And that first time out of the country is when I went to Kenya, Africa. And it was on a mission trip to where we had 93 people on a medical uh, mission trip to Kenya, Africa. It was a absolutely life changing event. Um, it was seismic. It was, um, and I don't mean to overblow this thing. I don't even think that I can, but this changed my life forever. It changed the trajectory of my life completely. Uh, not just me, but my wife was also on that trip. So she experienced the same transformation as I did. And when we got back to the States, every everything changed. Everything changed. 
And it was because I got to see a different perspective. I got to witness a different uh, way of life with different people and different cultures and different lifestyles. And that particular moment, that particular trip, 14 day trip, um, was something that I oftentimes refer back to, and I continually glean from it 11, almost 12 years to the day. It, it was just that dramatic of an impact. That started something that continues on to this day. Um, so uh, trips all the way down to, you know, Haiti, all of the Caribbean countries, um, all the way across the Atlantic and being able to see all these different people in these different ways of life has something that has brought me deep, deep meaning. But as much as I like to travel, as much as I like to travel and I, I love traveling, I, I absolutely love traveling. Um, I, I love getting on a plane and, and traveling across the drink and, and going to this place and to that place. And I, I love doing that. But in all that I love to do, traveling in all that I love to do, no matter if it's the finest hotels and the most luxury re uh, resorts, one of the things that I love the most is coming back home is coming back home. So no matter if I'm in Europe, no matter if I'm in India, no matter if I'm in Africa, no matter if I'm in Brazil, no matter if I'm in El Salvador, Honduras, Belize, Guatemala, you name it, no matter where I am and no matter what I'm doing, one of the greatest parts about traveling is coming home. And, and I love coming home because um, while we travel to all of these different places and see all of these different things, there's nothing like home. And so as I've been kind of thinking about this, especially over the past year and a half, two years uh, that this country has been in an uproar and the statement of make America great again or is America great? Does America offer opportunities to everybody regardless of race, ethnicity, sexual orientation or whatever you want to fill in the blank? Does America provide one of the, of the best opportunities for success? Um, as compared to other nations and or countries. And I can say unequivocally, and we're going to talk about this, unequivocally, yes. And I want to talk about this from my standpoint, being an African-American man. As you can see, I am black. I've always been black. I do understand what it means to live in this black skin, for I've been in this black skin for 48 years. And so I understand the black experience and I don't need anybody telling me about what it means to be black and how I could be more black or less black or what my black experience is. I don't need anybody telling me any of that because I've been in this skin all of my life. Uh, being black is a state of being. Um, it is not a cultural appropriation. It is not somebody doing something that is relegated to our culture and, and in the, the, anything such like that. It is a state of being. And I've been black all of my life and I will be black until the time that I breathe my last on this side of uh, eternity. And so as I'm looking at this from our perspective uh, as an African-American, and then I will broaden it to uh, minorities as a whole that is America great um, is America right now as it stands in 2021 is it the land that offers the best opportunity 
for success, uh, regardless of creed, religion, race, or whatever? Is it? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Yes. Um, as we look at African Americans in this country, uh, when we came over in 1619, and if you've listened to the podcast on any length of time, you've heard me talk about uh, the transatlantic trade, uh, slave trade, um, that it wasn't 1619. It actually started in the late 1400s. And, um, but 1619 is when Plymouth Rock landed on us, right? And we came over here to what is now called the United States of America. It wasn't called the United States of America when we came. But um, on 1619, we landed here uh, on Plymouth Rock or Plymouth Rock landed on us, um, as uh, Malcolm X so eloquently put it. What has happened um, in that moment, in those moments, post uh, uh, 1619? Well, there's a couple of different things that we need to talk about. One, when we're talking about the enshrinement of America and the ideals of America and the practices of America and the values of America, we in 2021 can have a 2020 vision or viewpoint on the atrocities that happened or littered the landscape of America in its history. So we can go back to uh, 1776 when we uh, signed the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and when America officially became uh, the United States of America when we won our independence from Great Britain. Uh, We can look at the founding fathers as they signed that document. Uh, the Declaration of Independence, declaring our independence, uh, declaring our freedom from our oppressors, which was Great Britain of that day, right? So we signed the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, and we said from this day forward, we are free from the tyranny of Great Britain, and we declare ourselves to be independent. That's the Declaration of Independence. All of our forefathers signed on it because they did not like the rule of Britain. They did not like how we were being treated, how uh, how intrinsically intrusive uh, the government was in the daily affairs of people. And so we set out to free ourselves from the tyranny that was uh, Great Britain. And so the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights were pinned for those freedoms. Now, we know that even as those documents were signed, the ideals of America were in no way, shape or form. I won't say in no way, shape or form, for there were small pockets of that freedom that was universally recognized. But for the most part, the ideals by which we were trying to break away from with Great Britain, we had not we had not at the time given that same liberty and justice to those in which we were trying to break away from, namely the citizens of the United States of America. And so as they penned the Declaration of Independence, the the ideals that were in that document were not lived up to at all, at all. And I think you would be remiss if anybody didn't have a real open and honest conversation about the history of America leading up to where we are in 2021. You have to have these kind of conversations to really talk about what needs to be talked about if we're going to address the issues and then put forth ironclad solutions to get past some of the problems that we have. So as we're going back to the founding of this nation, this nation was founded on freedom 
but yet in the backside of this nation, we had slavery going on. So while we were fighting for freedom from Great Britain, we ourselves were enslaving uh, thousands and hundreds of thousands of African Americans uh, in the same nation that was trying to get free from the other nation that was doing that to us. And so as the great, as the Declaration of Independence was signed and we declared our freedom, we were not given freedom to the ones who were in the very nation that we were trying to protect. So that goes all the way back. And I think we can have some real honest and open conversations about that. And I think anybody that is genuine and anybody that is honest will be able to look at that and glean from it because the ideals that were in the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is the natural law that all men are created equal. All men are created equal. All men are created equal and are given certain rights by their creator. So there were two main things within that Declaration of Independence that were mainstays of, of, of what we were trying to do in that day. One, by saying all men, regardless of race, religion, creed, background, are created equal. They are created equal and they are endowed with certain inalienable rights by their creator. So we were talking about the equality of man and the creator of man. So we had a, an ideal that every person was created equal. And then we had the ideal that that person that was created equal was created by uh, our father who in heaven or God. However, as the Declaration of Independence was signed, those ideals were not lived up to at that time. We know that some of the founders of that particular document that wrote their names on those documents owned slaves at the time in the writing of those particular documents. So the ideals of America were not lived up to when the Declaration of Independence was enshrined, this document um, that we hold dear even to ourselves in 2021. Make no mistake about it. That is ironclad facts. Nobody can argue with that. And I don't think anybody intelligent or anybody that is worth their salt would even remotely argue with that. My point is this, that while the ideals uh, of the Declaration of Independence, what we could potentially become at the moment of the signing would not in practice, it does not negate the propensity or the potential of living up to those truths. Because those are truths that all men are created equal and they are endowed with certain inalienable rights by their creator. Those ideals are true, even if at the moment they were not being lived up to by the people who even signed the document. But the ideals themselves are absolutely true and they are just as true in 2021 as they were in 1776, just as true. The ideals of it, the principles or the markers around it are absolutely true. So as we moved along in our history, we saw the enslavement of African-American uh, um, um, people rise to the tune of going from thousands to millions of people. And, and then we saw the great thing that happened in 1863 with the passing of the Emancipation Proclamation by Abraham Lincoln. 
uh, our ninth president who signed the Declaration of Independence because of the bloody Civil War. And make no mistake about it, the, the Civil War was not about um, uh, anything else than uh, economy, commerce, money. So this bloody Civil War that took hundreds of thousands of lives of the South and the um, of the Confederacy and the Union fighting against each other on this main topic of slavery. Uh, the Civil War, make no mistake about it, at the crux of it was slavery, but at the bedrock of it was money, okay? So you have the Union against the Confederates, and they were fighting the Civil War to bring to an end this thing called slavery, which had marred uh, the landscape or the history of America up until that point. And so there were men who came and said, you know what, this is wrong. We should abolish it. There were some things going on in order to protect the union. The union was crumbling at its foundation. And it was a very, very pivotal point in American history. Um, we get to the place to where the the Emancipation Proclamation gets passed. We get the 13th Amendment that outlaws or bans slavery within these United States. Only to go on just a couple of months into 1863 and Abraham Lincoln gets assassinated. Um, um, and many would say, uh, I would happen to agree with it, that one of the driving forces of this assassination was his major push for the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, of trying to free um, uh, African-Americans from the tyranny, which was slavery. So it got passed. Uh, the Emancipation Proclamation got passed. The 13th Amendment got passed, which outlawed slavery in these United States. But here's the caveat, except for the committing of a crime. So there was no um, uh, there was no slavery that was legal within the confines of the United States. However, if a person committed a crime, then that person would be subject to the labor laws of slavery. And so make no mistake about it. The prison system, as it relates today, is an official slave camp uh, because you have people working um, nominal uh, uh, for nominal means and making products and on assembly lines doing work for very very nom uh, nominal and even meager means that is slavery but the 13th amendment outlawed slavery except for the committing of a crime that's a conversation that we can have all in another uh, podcast. I've talked about that at length. Uh, so just go back through our playlist on Studio B on YouTube and you can find where I've talked about the 13th Amendment and uh, um, uh, judicial reform and, and, and prison reform and things that we need to talk about. Um, I've talked about those things at length uh, about the 13th Amendment because the 13th Amendment does in a lot of different ways, shapes and forms um, have some really big big gaping holes that need to be uh, closed. So now we have slavery that has been abolished. It is no longer um, it is no longer permissible or legal within the confines of the United States to practice slavery for uh, slave owners or plantation owners to have people uh, tending their co uh, their cotton and, and their sugarcane fields and 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 treating them in the old kind of way. That particular practice has been outlawed and it is now illegal in the United States. Interestingly enough, again, I've talked about this before. The United States, although we give it, um, you know, we talk about slavery in the United States. I've often said before that the United States was not good at slavery. 
Um, as a matter of fact, when you look at the transatlantic uh, slave trade, uh, only 30% of the Africans from Africa actually came to the state. And they would come by way of Haiti, they would come by way of Cuba, and then they would eventually come by ports of Louisiana. So Louisiana was one of those port cities that brought slaves into the continental U.S. But America did not perfect the slave practice. Um, that was Great Britain. That was Brazil. Um, that was people along the western coast. That was even Mexico. Um, I've been to um, uh, um, Esperanza, uh, which is a place in Mexico where they have Afro-Mexicans. And these Afro-Mexicans are descendants of uh, slaves that were taken from Africa that as they were coming along the coast of Mexico, uh, the slave ship crashed along the coast and those slaves ran up into the mountains. And they eventually over, you know, decades and even centuries um, began to develop little villages and things of that nature. And so about three years ago, I went and did a mission trip uh, in Mexico talking to Afro-Mexicans. And which at the time, three years ago, they had just uh, re-amended their constitution to formally recognize them as citizens of Mexico. Uh, they have been fighting for their rights to be known as citizens of Mexico. It's a great read, a great study. Afro-Mexicans, look it up. It will be um, a great um, study for you. But America did not perfect the slave practice. As a matter of fact, when you look when you look and you study the transatlantic slave trade, you'll find that Brazil was a great practitioner of slavery. Um, as a matter of fact, Brazil, even to this day, uh, still uh, excavating uh, slave ports where they would have mass graves of slaves that didn't make it from the transatlantic uh, slave trade. Uh, even to this day, they are excavating mass graves from slaves in Brazil. And so as you look at America, America participated in the slave trade, but America by no stretch of the imagination perfected uh, the system of slavery. Now, that does not mean that America did not play a very horrific part in slavery. That being the case, we can talk about that. But America in no way, shape or form was a perfecter of slavery. Uh, history will tell you that if you're honest in your assertion. So as we look at coming through the 13th Amendment and seeing how things started to change, uh, even though slavery was illegal in the United States, uh, African-Americans were not out of the woods yet. Um, you begin to start seeing some people pop up along the landscape of America and really begin to start taking a leading charge uh, in, in African-American endeavors. And we have some people that popped up on the scene that were greatly beneficial to uh, the plight of African-Americans. So even though the 13th Amendment got signed, African-Americans were not out of the woods yet. So there was a period of time between 1865 and right around 1900 that African-Americans enjoyed um, some semblance of freedom. They enjoyed um, some some prosperity. Um, then as we're coming out of the 1900s, this is the history that is littered in American history that we need to talk about in order to get us to where we are right now in 2021. Um, we, we, we at one point in time begin to regress in our uh, progression. 
And so as African-Americans were beginning to come out and make a name for themselves, really begin to build up families and even businesses and even a very interesting study that you would like to that I would encourage you to go and look at are the six millionaires that came out of 1865 to 1890. Immediately thereafter, the 13th Amendment was signed by Abraham Lincoln. We have six black millionaires that popped up on the scene from 1865 to 1890 black millionaires with literally a millions millions of dollars in 1865 to 1890 black america began to start getting its footing um, we begin to start prospering in economics and in business and in education. The education rate had beginnings to start going up around 1910 to 1920, and it steadily started climbing until we got to uh, right around 1950, 1960. And so as you're looking at the plight of African-Americans through the American landscape, we can all look and see the atrocities that America performed on this particular people group. And again, I'm talking about this particular people group at this moment. I will broaden it to the minority group here in just a second. But the question is, is America great? Is America the best place where people can make um, something out of nothing? Does America offer uh, programs, incentives for people to do greater and bigger things? Absolutely, yes. If you look at um, statistics, uh, every single year in America, roughly around 400,000 immigrants People from other nations, other countries, um, other political systems, other affiliations, roughly about 400,000 people every single year are attempting to get into the shores of America. Some are doing it legally. Others are doing it illegally. <clears throat> they are risking, <clears throat> excuse me, they are risking life and limb to get over here to the states of America. And as I said in the beginning part, um, one of the things that I think about constantly is, and, and I understand this, I was talking to my wife about this a few days ago, I understand that my perspective is a very unique perspective because many people have not seen anything other than what they see on a daily basis. Uh, I am reminded about four years ago, I took a group of 25 youth uh, from our church to McAllen, Texas, which is at the boot of Texas. From Houston to McAllen, it's about a six-hour drive. Straight down 59 South, you'll run right in to McAllen, Texas. McAllen, Brownsville, right there at the border of Mexico. And so we were doing a mission trip down there in McAllen, Texas. This is 25 of our youth that had went on that particular mission trip. And I also had 10 chaperones that accompanied us on that particular mission trip. <clears throat> Out of the 25 children that went on that mission trip, excuse me, from Houston to McAllen, Texas, six hours down 59, out of the 25 people, uh, 25 youth that were on that trip, almost, not, not almost, 11 of them, 11 of them had never left the city of Houston. And I'm talking about kids that were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I think the oldest one was 19 years old. So 25 of them went on the trip. 11 of them had never left the city of Houston. Out of the 11 chaperones that I had, three of the 11 chaperones, which were adults, had never left the city of Houston. 
Never left the city of Houston. I'm not getting on a plane. We're not traveling to a far distant country. I'm getting them on the church bus and we're driving, uh, you know, 350 miles down 59 South going to McAllen, Texas. Literally a six hour drive and 11 of my youth ages 13 to 19 and three of my chaperones, adults, had never left the city of Houston. That was all that they had ever seen in their entire life. And as I began to think about that, and we did some, some, some devotions about that, as I began to think about, you've never left the city of Houston. All you've ever seen is what you see on a daily basis. Man, that gives you a terribly skewed vision. It gives you a terribly skewed vision and a perspective on any other thing. Yes, I understand that Houston is the fourth largest city and quickly becoming the third. Yes, I understand that Houston is the melting pot of America, that we got all different nationalities, all different creeds, cultures, religions. All of that is the melting pot here in Houston, Texas. I absolutely understand that. Absolutely understand that. But the world is a big world. Um, America makes up about 360 million people. Well, that's 7.9 billion people on the planet. And so 360 million people is just a blip on the radar when you're talking about 7.9 billion people. And there are people that have never left their zip code. They've never seen anything other than their street, their neighborhood, their community, their friends, their family. They've never been engaged in anything holistically outside of what they have seen every day. And that gives you a horrible perspective. When you've been able to see things, watch what I'm saying. When you've been able to see things, you get to compare things. And one of the things that I've always talked about in this subject here is America is by far not the perfect place. By far. By far, America is not the only democracy on the planet. America is not the only democracy that practices capitalism. America is not the only place that practices free uh, voter um, 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 uh, elections. America is not the only place on the planet that does what we do. By far. Like you can go to a lot of places around the country, around the world, and get the same benefits that you get here in America. But I don't see anybody in, in records of 400,000 migrating to Canada. I don't see anybody in records of 400,000 people every single year trying to migrate to Mexico and migrate to Cuba and migrate to Africa and migrate to France and to London and to Amsterdam and to China and to Russia and to all of these places around the world. I don't see people risking life and limb, jumping in canoes, jumping in canoes, trying to swim across the Atlantic to get to the United States of America. I don't see anybody else doing that to get to some other country. And the question is, why? Why, if America is not that particular place where you can excel, why are so many people risking their lives to get here why are they walking from guatemala from honduras from mexico why are they walking hundreds of miles to get to the shores of america why are they doing this 
if America is so oppressive and repressive, and if America is constantly beating people of color down and minorities down, why are these minorities continually trying to come to the country that is not going to show them any love? So as we talk about the history of America and as we talk about the imperfections of America and the, the, the history that is riddled in America's past, we got to have some real, real uh, concrete conversations. Um, African-Americans, I have said this. I take heat for it. I get it. But listen to me. We are being lied to. We are being lied to. We are being used as a political pawn. We are the puppet. We are the puppets and, and the elites at the top are the puppeteers and the most easily influenced and manipulated group in America continues to be the African-American. Have you ever noticed that the ones that keep telling you how hard it is to succeed have already succeeded? Have you ever noticed the ones that keep telling you how the system is oppressive and the system won't let you go and the system keeps doing this have beat the system? Have you ever noticed that the ones that keep telling everybody else that America will not allow you to rise and to succeed and to conquer have risen, have succeeded and have conquered? Have you ever noticed that the ones that are talking the loudest usually have what they keep telling everybody else that you can't have? The ones that are very benefited from the systems here in America continually tell you that you can't do it because of your skin color. Because there is a white man on the other side of whatever you are trying to do that is trying to stop you from being all that God has required for you to be. And so what they're doing is setting up these roadblocks that they themselves have bust through. They themselves have bust through the roadblocks that they keep telling you about. They've beat the system. They've beat the economic system. They grew up in poverty and now they are millionaires living in gated communities. They have beat the system that they continually keep talking about is oppressive and keeps people down. They have beat that very system that they keep telling you is coming after you. And we are being lied to. If you look at our history, if you look at our history as African-American people here in this particular country and look at all that we have overcome in order to get to the place to where we are right now, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We stand on the shoulders of those who really experienced the racial hatred and the heartache that comes along with Jim Crow segregationist laws. Uh, we we stand on the shoulders of those who said you can't go to this school. You have to drink from this water fountain. You have to get your food from the back of the restaurant. We stand on the shoulders of those people who have endured such tragedy, such heartache and such pain. We in 2021 are recipients of their sacrifice. My grandmother was around when Emmett Till died. She is. She was around to remember Black Water Fountain, White Water Fountain. She lived in a Jim Crow segregated South. My grandmother has stories to tell me and has told me about the pains and all of the anguish that she has gone through as an African-American woman in America. She has told me that. 
But bless God, my grandmother lived long enough to see her grandson own his own house, graduate from college, and do very well in life. The very things that she was denied early in her life and even midway up in her life, she has saw her seeds, her my mother, her sons, and all of her children go on to do great and wonderful things. The very, the very freedoms that she was denied, she got to live long enough to see her children and her children's children and her children's children's children enjoy the very freedoms that she was denied. And so we're looking at people that have overcome hell and high water for us to be here right now in 2021. And for any black person right now that buys into the narrative that I can't do what God has purposed on my heart to do because there is somebody holding me down, you have bought into the lie. You have bought into the lie. Two things can be true at the same time. We can talk about the issues that absolutely need addressing. We can talk about the issues that absolutely need addressing, but we can also talk about the things that also need to be talked about. And as I look at the landscape of America, I am seeing black folks, uh, the greatest political pawns and the greatest political uh, chess pieces that have been moved on the chessboards of politics for the last century and even beyond. Black people. And, and we are continually buying into the nonsense that if we're not doing something, then it's because of what somebody else is doing against us. Can I tell you something? Um, and I, I understand and, and I make absolutely no apologies for it. I am a born again Christian. I love Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and my Savior. Uh, my soul has been saved. I possess the Holy Spirit of God. I believe in Jesus Christ unabashedly. I will stand and yell that from the rooftops until the day that I die. John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except he come by me. I am a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that every man, boy, woman, and girl has to be in relation with God. Your souls need to be saved. As I look and, and think about that statement, as I look at the history of our people, that they were a family unit, even on the plantations, even in harsh conditions, all they had was each other. They were a family unit and they were a spiritual people. I don't want to hear about all this where the master pushed Christianity on black folks and it was the master's religion and he pushed that down to his people and, and black folks were coerced into believing in the white man's God. Man, listen, if you ascribe to that, you are literally a fool. You have literally never read anything. Our people, our ancestors were deeply spiritual people, deeply spiritual people going all the way back to Ethiopia and Ethiopia was never colonized, was never colonized by Britain, was never colonized by Portugal, by Spain, but they are a deeply spiritual connected people to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So as you're looking at our people who grew up in the harshest conditions possible on slave plantations where they, if they stepped out of line, they would get beaten, they would get lashed. Those people were developing ironclad family units, mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt and uncles on the other side, deep connections within their family units. And they were highly spiritual people that had a strong connection to, to the things of God. And I believe two things were true that led up to African-Americans receiving their freedom and then ultimately thriving, not only in freedom, but even while they were in slavery. What was it? It was their strong belief in family and their ironclad belief in God. And if you look at the African-American, if you look at our culture today, we have a deficit in those two areas of our lives. Well, we have now 74% of all new births in the African-American community are born to out of wedlock parents. 74%. That, that, number was, that number was 21 in 1960. It is now 74%. That means three out of four babies that are being born into the African-American culture or, or uh, demographic are born at an, into out of wedlock homes. The family structure is splintered. There has been, in, in my humble opinion, I have never seen such a more mass exodus from the things of God from black folks. Black folks now don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Now Jesus all of a sudden is too archaic. We too smart now. We got Google. We got Facebook. We got Instagram. We got Twitter. We got all of these things at our disposal now. And now Jesus all of a sudden ain't good enough for us no more. The same Jesus that grandma prayed through in order to bring your mama through, the same Jesus that your mama prayed to in order to get you here is now the same Jesus that many black folks are talking about, I don't need no more. And it's crazy that we have abandoned the two pillars of our, of our culture that got us to where we are, family and faith. Strong in our family, strong in, in making sure that our families are strong and well connected and then strong in our commitment to the things of the Lord, strong in our commitment to Christ Jesus and strong in our relationship to the things of the word. Black people are leaving the church in record numbers. We are abandoning the things of God. And now we have all of these different factions that are going around and people are getting caught up in all of this foolishness that they're talking about. We're questioning the things of God as if God has changed. Hebrews chapter 13 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi says that I am the Lord and I do not change. So now here we are in 2021 where we as a culture, as a people are now questioning the things of God because God is not good enough for us no more and saints of God we are being lied to you are being lied to God is irreplaceable family matters in Genesis chapter number two when God created Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter one verse 26 and 27 he said let us make man in our own image and according to our own likeness God created him of them male and female in Genesis chapter number two, verse number 18, he puts Adam to sleep, brings forth Eve. He wakes up. There's his wife. Bam. Genesis chapter number three, Adam uh, goes into sleep with his wife. They conceive of a child and bam, the first family is formed. The first family is formed. God created family 4,000 years before he instituted the church. God is a family God, the family of God, the family of God. Family matters. It matters. 
having a strong family matters. It produces it produces some things that are beneficial not only for the family, but for society as a whole. Family matters. It matters. It absolutely matters. Family matters. A mother, father, children operating in unison of a family absolutely makes a difference. Faith matters. Faith matters. And so now you're having all of these charlatans who are popping up all over the place and everybody's casting aspersions upon the word of God and everybody's an expert in the word of God and everybody's got an opinion on the word of God when they don't know nothing that they're talking about. You got people like T.I. who is supposed to be a theologian now who is convincing the young people that Jesus ain't who he say he is. You got now Cardi B who is not only detrimental to the African-American female and puts the African-American female in such a dreaded light that is very difficult to come back from. She is now the standard for women's empowerment. Are you kidding me? And the things in which we are now talking about in this current time have nothing to do with what's going on. Is America great? Is America providing us the best opportunities to survive and to thrive in this particular nation? Listen, America is not perfect, but let me tell you something. You could be born in utter nothingness and get out of utter nothingness in America. You can literally be born to nothing and come to be a billionaire, Oprah Winfrey. You could be a drug dealer in the Marcy Projects and rise through the musical ranks and then get your own company and become a billionaire, Jay-Z. You can do all of these things here in America. Right now in America, collectively, in, in the cult continental U.S., we have 156 African-American mayors over cities in America. 156. The 157th Congress is the most diverse Congress since its, in, since its existence. And I'm not just talking about diverse in regards to uh, race. I'm talking about diverse in regards to male, female, in regards to religion, and even sexual orientation. Here in, in Houston, where I reside, we have a two-term African-American man, Sylvester Turner, that is the mayor over the city of Houston. Right before him, we had a two-term uh, white female by the name of Anise Parker, who was a practicing lesbian, who got voted into the highest office in the city of Houston. And we're talking about that now, we're talking about now that America is oppressive and repressive to people of color and that we are we are trying to reinvent and trying to reinstall Jim Crow era and we're trying to oppress people and we're trying to tell people that they can't do this, can't do that, can't do that. And let me tell you why people are doing that, Saints, because they realize it's not enough room at the top. And so the people that are at the top right now understand it's not enough room up there for everybody. It is a very, very specified club of those particular people that are at the top, top, top. And so how do they how do they maintain and keep their status? Well, they got to make sure ain't nobody else climbing up the ladder. They got to make sure that nobody else is climbing up the ladder because it's not enough room up there. 
I don't want to hear about how hard life is for you if you live in these United States of America. You have no perspective. If you go to Cuba right now, right now in 2021, the citizens of Cuba are walking through the streets of Cuba holding American flags because they're sick and tired of the socialist communist uh, dictatorship that they've grown up under. I know you've seen Cuba in, in the Fast and Five and, and you've seen them racing these old cars down the street and all of this other stuff. Cuba is a mess. It's a flat out mess. Ain't nobody saying I want to go to Cuba to live. Nobody. When they just opened up the uh, release, the trade embargoes about six years or four years ago, four to six years ago, and allowed Cuba to re-engage in commerce with other people, mainly the United States of America. And then uh, commerce started coming back into that particular country. It's still not reaching the people at the bottom. Because that particular that particular country is a socialist and a communist dictatorship. They tell people what you can and cannot do. They regulate Internet access in Cuba and in Venezuela. Ain't nobody saying, man, I can't wait to go back home and live in Venezuela. Nobody. I have been to Haiti 22 times, 22 times I've been to Haiti. I've been to Port-au-Prince, I've been to uh, Jacques Mel, I've been to Butte Bouillet, I've been to Grand Guave, I've been to Cap Haitian, I've been to Jeremy, uh, I've been to Lakai, I've been all over Haiti, 22 times. I got ministry partners and pastors and, and friends from the north all the way to the south and everywhere in between. Haiti is going through hell right now. Hell right now. Since 1804, uh, Haiti was the first democratic republic to win its independence. But Haiti has long since been uh, pimped and industrialized by the, the United States of America and France and Spain also. But mainly those two. Haiti, just as recently as 2014, just paid off the last of its remaining debt when France filed reparations against Haiti when they won their independence from France. Haiti just now paid off billions of dollars in reparations to France. And now this whole thing is going on right now in the UN, which I don't think is going to get any type of um, uh, surge where they're asking France or telling France to pay back what Haiti paid them. That's not going to happen. But, you know, if you've been looking at the news that Jovenel Moise, their president, was assassinated about a month ago in his house. None of his security people got shot at all. His wife got shot three times. He got shot 12 times, execution style. And none of his security detail got hurt at all. The president, the president of Haiti got assassinated, not while he was out doing a public event, while he was in his own house. If the president can get assassinated in his own house, how safe is it for me to go over there? How safe is it for a Haitian citizen to go outside? That's what's happening in Haiti, which is literally two hours outside of Miami. I'm not talking about going across the Atlantic to Africa. I'm talking about going to Miami and then getting a connect flight and going to Haiti two hours away. 
That's what's going on in our sister country called Haiti. The poorest country in the Western Hemisphere where 60% of all Haitians live on less than $2 a day. I have seen this personally. This is not something, this is not conjecture. This is not something that I've read off a, uh, a particular article. I've witnessed this personally. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've touched it with my own hands. I've talked to the people. I've prayed with the people. I've ate with the people. I've stayed with the people in Haiti. I know what I'm talking about here. That is two hours outside of Miami. And every person in Haiti would love the opportunity, the freedom, and the enjoyment to come here to America and make something of themselves. If you go to Miami right now, they have this little section in Miami called Little Haiti. And in Little Haiti, you have a lot of former Haitians. Well, you have Haitians uh, who are actually from Haiti that made it over here to the States, some legally, some, Ill some illegally. But they're working in places, and what they're doing is, when they get paid, they're sending money back um, to their to their parents, to their families in Haiti, because they are making thirty times, fifty times, a hundred times more in America than they could ever make in Haiti, because the economy is broken. There's mass poverty. And see, in America, we see people as poor. See, I've seen. I've seen impoverished communities. And there's a difference between being poor and being impoverished. There is a difference. There is a huge difference in those two paradigms. But as I talk to my brothers and sisters in Haiti, and I've been in constant contact with them over this last month about all that is going on, they tell me, Pastor Holman, it is bad. It is as bad as I've ever seen it in Haiti. They got elections coming up in September, which I'm not too very optimistic on, which is a month and a half away from us. I believe that those elections are going to be pushed down, uh, but they got elections coming up to reelect or to elect a president. They got a lot of stuff going on right now. But you know what? Because I've been to Haiti, because I've seen Haiti, and then I come back here to the States and I'm able to balance things out and I'm able to not go to the left, not go to the right, but stay even keel and say, OK, these are the issues that we are having to face. And these are some of the things that we need to do about them. America is not without its problems. By no stretch of the imagination, America is not without its problems. But saints of God, let me tell you something. If you've never been anywhere, if you've never traveled anywhere, then you don't know how good you got it. And so here's what I would tell you in Jesus name. I would say that we need to talk about some ironclad issues that need to be talked about. And I think we need to talk about it from a place of implementation. Uh, not from a place of rhetoric, not from a place of exciting one group against another group and this party against another party. Time out for all of this partisan foolishness. Red, blue, purple, yellow, whatever it may be. We need to talk from a standpoint of implementation. Having some people who are smart enough around the table to know the issues that need to be discussed and then bring forth concrete solutions to address those issues. Not people who like to fan the flames. 
I'm talking about people who are actually educated in the areas that need to be discussed. It is time for you to stop getting your information off of Wikipedia. It is time for you to stop saying, Google, what does this mean? It is time for you to really get engaged and understand the issues that are being pushed to the public forefront of us here in America. It is time that you understand that. It is time that you understand that because watch this, everybody, and I'm almost done. Watch this. Accountability is a biblical principle. In the story of the talents, Jesus says that there's a man that was given five talents. He went out and duplicated that five and brought back five more. That was a man that was given two talents. He went and duplicated that and brought back two more. That was a man that had one talent. He went and hid it in the ground. The master came back after a long time of being away and called those three servants to himself to give an account for what he had given them. The man with five brought back 10 and said, Master, I double what you gave me. Jesus said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You've been faithful over a few things. Come now, I'll make you ruler or master over many. The one with two, he said, Master, you gave me two. I brought back four. I've doubled your investment of what you put in me. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You've been faithful over a few things. Come now, I'll make you rule over many. And then Jesus calls that one that had one. And the one that had one said, oh, master, I knew that you were a hard man. I knew that you reap where you did not sow. So here's what I did. I hid the talent that you gave me. I buried the talent that you gave me. Here it is. The same way that you gave it to me. Here it is. This, 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 this servant was crazy enough to think that what God had put in him, he wanted the same thing back. And so here's what Jesus said in this parable. He said, take that talent from this man and give it to the one that gave me 10. And then cast this lazy, slothful, no good servant into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said, you should have at least put my money with the bankers where I could have earned some interest. And so here's what Jesus says in that particular parable. I'm going to hold you accountable for what I've put in you. And you better make sure that you double the investment of what God has put in you. Listen, everybody, you are going to face challenges in your life if you're doing anything worthwhile. If you're doing anything important, you're going to face challenges. There's going to be opposition. If it's anything worthy, you're going to face opposition. If you're not doing nothing, you ain't getting nothing. Jesus is going to call us. God is going to call us to give an account. And I can't get to God on that great getting up day and say, God, what you put in me, the white man wouldn't let me do it. The guy on my job wouldn't let me do it. He wouldn't let me be the best man that I could be. He wouldn't let me start this program. He wouldn't let me start this business. He wouldn't let me make this money. He wouldn't let me get this family. He wouldn't let me live in this neighborhood. If you think that that excuse is going to float when you stand before your creator on that getting up day and you have to give an account for what God has put on the inside of you, you are sorely mistaken. It is par for the course. But I draw strength from my ancestors. I draw strength from my grandmother, from my grandfather. I draw strength from that woman who was shot in the stomach when she was seven months pregnant with, with her youngest child and still did what she had to do. Didn't let anything stop her. 
I come from a lineage of people that when they come up against adversity and obstacles, they push through them. No matter how long it may take, no matter how discouraging it may be, we got to get it done. You got to get it done. Stop falling for the banana in the tailpipe. If you want to do something great, get it done. Don't let anybody stop you. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he, he God raises up a standard against him. And so if you're telling me right now that 2021 is like 1950, if you're telling me that 2021 is like 1776, is like 1619, and that the same oppression and repression and all the things that our forefathers and foremothers, uh, foremothers had to deal with are the exact same as what we're dealing with right now in 2021, you need to go get a book. Everybody, we have to move the conversation forward. I believe that empowering people brings out the best in them. I believe that when you encourage people, when you rah-rah and cheer them on, when you get in their corner and you stand behind them and when they fall down, you, you, you help them to get back up. When they're discouraged, you encourage them. I believe that is the way that you push things forward. And that's how we make people better. You got to stop giving crutches to people who ain't hurt. You got to learn to lift people up and watch this. You got to learn to challenge them that yes, some things may come. You may have to deal with the racist. You may have to deal with the prejudiced person. You may have to deal with somebody that don't like you. You may have to deal with somebody that is, is, is trying to stop you from doing what you are doing. You may have to deal with that stuff. It's out there. Those are called people. That's called a fallen world. That's called sin. But if that's enough to stop you, if that's enough to stop you from doing what you what has been put in your heart to do to where you keep saying this is what I need to do, then it was never in your heart to do it. I told my kids lastly, I told my kids, listen, if I'm going to fail, I am going to fail trying. I'm not I, I refuse to go to my grave woulda, coulda, shoulda, woulda. I, I, listen, I am not finna do that. I am 48 years old this year and I take Psalm 90. I know it's a principle more than it is a promise that we have promised three score and 10 years. So if I take that at face value, that's 70 years. I'm 48 years old right now. That means I got 22 more good years. Again, a principle rather than a promise. I know that people die well before 70. I know people die well after 70. I'm taking it as a principle. But if I take it at face value at 70 and I'm 48 years old right now, I got 22 more good years in front of me. That means I got more years behind me than I I do have in front of me. So I got to ask myself a question every single day that I get up. What do I need to get done today? What are going to be the challenges that I might face in getting it done? Okay. I have determined to live my life with purpose and intention. I have determined to live my life with purpose and intention. And I have determined that these latter years of my life are going to be with me pushing the needle forward. I'm going to make some things happen. Uh, the world will know that Marcus D. Holman was here when I breathed my last. And if that means that I got to face some challenges along the way in order to do what I believe God has laid up on my heart to do, then I am willing to do that because I believe so strongly in what God is doing in this generation in my life. I believe what the Holy Spirit is leading me to do. And I want to encourage you. You need to believe. We need to go back 
and pick up some of those lessons from our forefathers. Family, having a strong family and a strong faith. And I believe that with God on my side, that yeah, I'm gonna encounter, I'm gonna encounter some demons. Uh, I'm going to encounter some people that are going to maliciously lie on me. They're going to talk behind my back. They're going to smile in my face. And then as soon as I turn around, the knife will be halfway down my spine. I know that there's some people out there. Trust me, I am not a fool. Uh, I, I, I don't walk around with my head in the sky like that. I know it's some people out there that don't want to see me do well. I know it's some people out there that when I fall, they laugh. I know that. But you know what? I know also this, that God is greater than those people. And I just know too many people around me that have moved heaven and earth. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through their relationship with God, through their spiritual experience, they have been able to accomplish not just uh, minute things, but magnificent things. Uh, I, I know some world changers. I know people that are literally making impact in their communities, in their churches, and even around the world. I can put my hands on people of color that are world changers and that are doing things that other people would even dare dream of. And so let me encourage you, is America perfect? No, everybody, it's not. It's not perfect, nothing is perfect. Not, what is perfect? Give me an example of it. There's nothing perfect. But is America the, uh, the uh, a place where you can go from nothing to something? Is America a place where you can change the generational trajectory of your family? Can America be the place where you are born into poverty, but your kids and your kids' kids know nothing about poverty? Absolutely. Is America a place where you, uh, your forefathers never finished high school, but now you're working on your second and your third degree? Now your kids are graduating college? Now they're in much better opportunities. Is America that place? Yes. Is America the only place? No, it's not. But I find it interesting that everybody that is complaining about America doesn't want to leave America. Everybody that says that it's so bad, it's so horrible, are not packing up and leaving. So I want to say that I am a proud uh, I am a born-again Christian first. I'm a black man, okay? But I'm going to die as a black man. I'm going to live as a believer forever. I am a unapologetically uh, believer in Christ Jesus. I'll yell it from the rooftops. I am a black man that lives in America. But I love this country. This country has been very good to me. This country has um, been very good to my family. This this country has provided me some opportunities uh, because of the places that I've been, I don't believe that I would have had the same opportunities in these places that I've been. And so I'm thankful for America. And I'm thankful uh, for Acts chapter number 17, where God has appointed the dwelling times and the places of his children. So God planted me in America. This is what God designed for me to be. And I am trying my best to move the conversation so that my kids and my kids' kids inherit a country that has been good to me and it will be equally as good to them. But if we continue to burn the barn down, there won't be anything left. There won't be anything left. And saints, the people that are being affected by it, 
are you and me. We're being affected. So I, I wanted to say, man, listen, I have participated in several events, roundtable discussions, panels, uh, ad nauseum. And, and I've, I've sat on panels where people are screaming and I've sat on panels where people obviously didn't research uh, the topics that we were talking about. I've been from A to Z, but I love being involved in conversations with people that are actually sincere about moving the conversation forward. And these politicians out there, whether they're red or blue, at the end of it all, at the end of the at the end of it all, it's not about moving the conversation forward. It's not about making life better for you and me. We have to do that. Our government is for the people and by the people. We don't live in a, uh, a socialist country. We don't live in a communist country. This is a democracy. Our government works for us. That's our government. When you pay taxes, you pay their salaries. This allows them to put gas in their car because they work for us. So everybody, uh, please hear me. Uh, black people, we are strong. We are resilient. We can do it. Please stop allowing everybody to use us as pawns. We are better than that. So I wanted to thank you, man, because I have been, um, <laughs> man, <laughs> for a more perfect union. <laughs> um, God is good. His mercy endures. And if God be for you, it's more than the entire world against you. Find somebody and draw strength from their struggle, as I constantly do. Um, I, let me, I'm a preacher. This is really my last close. But um, when I look at the life of Christ and look at what he went through on that Friday on that Thursday, that Friday, the inextricable pain that he must have been feeling as he got hit with that cat of nine tails, as flesh was ripped from his body, as he bled from every orifice of his body, um, as he was in the garden and he sweat great drops of blood because of the pressure, the stress that he was under, and being nailed to a cross with nine-inch uh, railroad spikes to a into a cross uh, where he died of asphyxiation died because he couldn't breathe blood filled up his lungs um, and as he tried to push himself up on his foot on the little uh, beam that was at the foot of the cross as he tried to push himself up to take a breath the open wounds in his back would drive up and uh, up and down that rugged cross, and his his lungs would continually fill with blood. He gets he gets stabbed in the side with a sword, and blood and water comes rushing out, punctured his lung. So what was already very difficult to breathe, as he was punctured in his lung, it became that it became now excruciatingly painful to breathe and as I see everything that he went through I, I often refer back to that not as a sermon but 
trying to picture that in my head. He was doing something for the greater good of somebody other than himself. He had other people on his mind as he was hanging on the cross, as he went to be flogged. He had somebody else on his mind. And who he had on his mind was the greater destination for him to endure all of the pains that he was suffering. I think about that a lot in my life. Like, what am I willing to endure for the benefit of others? What type of pain am I willing to go through so that others may benefit from it? And saints of God, if you're constantly running away from pain, if you're constantly running away from struggle and from opposition and from this and from that, then the people that will benefit from that story will not be benefited. We have to do better. We have to do better. God is requiring this that we would do better. So I want to thank you for joining us here on State of Studio B. Remember, remember, I need you to like, follow, and subscribe. Um, at the bottom of this little um, uh, section, at the bottom of this podcast, you'll find our Patreon link. If you want to financially support uh, Studio B, you can find that link below. We will be launching the merch store for Studio B in late uh, August, so it'll be on the horizon. You can get some cool um, Studio B merch, some some tumblers and stuff like that. It'll all be uh, on the um, uh merch link that is right here in the description and remember everybody be informed be empowered god loves you more than you can possibly imagine and nothing is impossible for those who believe we'll see you the next time